Welcome everyone. We've had some technical issues uh, with our live stream and I appreciate your patience. Uh, it's just been hard getting everything up and running the way we want to work and sometimes technology works, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, we do know what the problem is and we're working to, to get a solution uh, in place very soon. Uh, so this is a pre-recorded message to get to, because we know the live stream just was not sufficient with buffering and all that type of stuff. So here this uh, pre-recorded message uh, for you. I'd like to first welcome all of you who are watching this. Uh, if you're part of our regular church family, welcome. If you are uh, visiting and just checking us out, glad to We are really blessed to have this kind of technology to make this a reality, even just this recording. However, I have to say, it's it's really our preference to be together in person. In a similar way, the writers of the New Testament epistles would often write to the churches expressing how they longed to be with them. Their preference was also to be together, but they couldn't. And when they couldn't, the best thing that they could do is use the best technology of their day and they wrote a letter. And more so, it's the great hope of our faith that one day we will be with the Lord face to face. And we won't want to settle a letter or even a live stream or pre-recorded video. So let us make the most of this wonderful technology during this season. But let us also yearn to be together again soon. And may we ache to ultimately be with Jesus face to face one day. In fact, right now, I want you to take out your phones and I want you to think about someone you would normally see on a Sunday when the church gathers. And I want you to send them a quick text message and let them know that you miss them and that you can't wait to see them again in person soon. I know this feels a little backwards because usually we're telling you to stay off your phones in church, but go ahead and do this now. I'll give you a minute. Last week, Pastor Gary challenged us to memorize Psalm 46. This is going to be our call to worship text this morning. But before we get to it, I want to share with you the incredible relevance of this passage for us today. To do this, you'll have to go back with me to August of 1527. The bubonic plague was once again ravaging Europe. And when it struck Wittenberg, Germany, Schools were closed and people fled. Martin Luther was ordered to leave, but he refused. Compelled by his faith to care for the sick, he and his wife opened their home as a for the sick and they ministered to them. While he didn't believe it was wrong for someone to flee, he taught that we should love our neighbors and in doing so, it is as if we are ministering to Christ himself. Check out Matthew 25 for more on that. But we can do this because of the hope of Christ's resurrection. Because Jesus was raised, we too will be raised one day. And death is not the end of us. And our faith in Christ can make us fearless even in the face of death. I've been, I've been encouraged this week to hear of many of you who have reached out to 
uh, elderly neighbors, offering to do grocery shopping for them or to offer other help in other ways. And one church member used their free time last week to call through our church directory just to check on people and ask how they're doing. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor now. However, Martin Luther didn't advocate recklessness either. He encouraged everyone to take extreme caution, not to meet together unnecessarily and to fumigate their homes and so on. So let us also take every precaution. Keep washing your hands. Don't go out unless you need to. Don't gather in groups uh, until it's safe to do so. But let us also not be afraid to love our neighbor. I share all this with you to tell you this. It was in that context that many believe Martin Luther wrote the well-known hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he wrote that hymn as a paraphrase of Psalm 46, our call to worship passage this morning. However, I'm not going to read this. I've recruited some of my girls who've been working hard last week to memorize this psalm, and they've made a video for us. So let's watch that now as our call to worship. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at the swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God helps her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalms 46, 1 through 11. Let's pray. Our good Father, you are on your throne in heaven and nothing surprises you. You are in control and perfectly loving and faithful. You alone are worthy of our worship. What a comfort it is to know the one who holds all things in his hands. We praise you, whether in sickness or in health, because while our circumstances are always changing, we are held by the one who never changes. And because Jesus defeated death, we too, by grace alone, through faith alone, do not need to fear even death itself, knowing that one day, when you return in power and glory, we will see you as you are and have perfect bodies like yours that will be impervious to viruses and disease, cancer and decay. 
Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling with the darkness of anxiety and fear at this time. I pray that you would pull open the window of their souls and that the light of the good news of the gospel would break in and turn sadness into hope and despair into rejoicing. God, I ask that you would provide for those who are out of work right now and for small business owners in our community. For any who are struggling financially, meet their needs and provide for them, good Father. God, I pray for those in our church family who are sick. For Sally, as she nears the end of her chemotherapy, that you would continue to carry her and strengthen her. I pray for Maria as she's struggling with not being near her sister to comfort her as she undergoes treatments for her cancer in the city. We pray that you give her sister relief from all the side effects she is experiencing and that ultimately you would bring her back to full health. But even more so, Lord, we ask that you would bring her sister to the joy of knowing you, Jesus. We, we are thankful and, and we praise you that Helene is out of ICU and is now in rehab recovering from pneumonia. I pray that you would encourage Steve, for whom it has been so difficult not to be by her side through all of this. We praise you that they will soon be able to celebrate 50 years of marriage together. God, there is so much to be thankful for, even in hard times. May we not take for granted the friendships we have and the opportunities to love our neighbors at this time. May your church shine bright in our current cultural moment. And may you receive all the glory. May you be exalted among the nations. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we've got a couple announcements for you this morning. Uh, it would be really easy to say church is closed and there's nothing going on, so let's move forward. But that's not the case. Uh, there is lots going on, even though we're scattered and isolated. Uh, for one, if you'd like to be part of next week's service by rewarding your family, saying the call to uh, worship passage, uh, just record a simple video using your phone and send it to me. Uh, it can be recited from memory or, or, or read, uh, but check your email for information on how to do that, what the, what the passage will be and how to get that to me. We'd love to involve more of you uh, in next week's uh, service time here online. Our children's ministry is working hard to get resources into the hands of you parents so that you can have a time with your children to nurture their faith uh, using Sunday school lessons that we have here. Keep an eye on your inbox for that. Phil Todd is working on hosting a Zoom online prayer meeting for anyone who would like to participate. Again, we'll send an email about the day and time and include instructions for how to join that. I'm also working on resuming the class I was teaching on Sunday mornings, again, using the Zoom tool. This will probably be a, midway, a midweek evening. Again, more information on this. Keep an eye on your inbox. Many of our life groups have continued to be active using uh, tools like Zoom. Be encouraged by that. So there's a lot going on that's really encouraging. But primarily, uh, know, to, to know what's going on right now, 
uh, you've got to be on our e email list. Uh, so if you're not on our email list, there's a link right on the home page of our website, fishkillbaptist.org. And this has, again, been the primary way of sharing church updates. We're also on Facebook and plan to be more active there. So if you're on Facebook, just search for Fishkill Baptist Church and like our page to get updates. So as you can see, the mission of the church continues. The Great Commission is never quarantined. So please help support the mission of Fishkill Church with a gift. We've made this easy for you to do online. Uh, also email your gift to the church. If you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give. And if you've been adversely impacted by this, by being out of work, again, don't feel obligated. And lastly, let me just say this. If you're struggling right now and you need someone to pray with, please reach out to us. If there's any need you have, or again, would just like to pray with someone, call into the church office. While there aren't office hours, Lori will be checking the messages and will relay that to someone who will get in touch with you to, to pray for you and to help you out in whatever way that we're able. So we're going to be in Jonah 1 today, but before we go there, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. And as we open your word together, God, we pray that you would change our hearts, that you would make us that much more like Jesus. Help us to uh, uh, have the character of Jesus. And may we love like Jesus. And Lord, uh, move in our hearts and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah is a fascinating book. It's very familiar to many of us from childhood because of the presence of that great fish that swallowed Jonah. It makes for great illustrations in children's Bibles, but as interesting as this great fish is, it only appears in three verses in the entire book. Skeptics often claim that this is a fictional story because the events seem to them to be, well, a little fishy. Sorry if that was too much. However, Jesus seemed to believe in the historicity of Jonah in this book. Jesus mentions Jonah in the Gospels as if he was a real person to whom these things actually happened. So I'm going to go with the person who died and rose from the dead on this one. And that's really all I'm going to say about that uh, for our time today. But again, remember, this book is not about a big fish. It's really about the prophet Jonah. And this is unique because it is the only prophetic book in the Old Testament that is about the prophet more than his message. But Jonah is no ordinary prophet. He's a rogue prophet. On the run from his God, a deserter. So what happens? When a rogue prophet goes off the rails in active rebellion against God. How firm are God's plans if they are opposed? Hear these words from Isaiah 46. Remember this. 
and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declare end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Or hear these words from Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay say to him what have you done or stay his hand so what happens when the will of one of god's people a prophet even opposes the sovereign will of god the book of jonah is our answer we will see how god intervenes and to pursue those who run from him with unexpected grace so let us look together at Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And he said to and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where, and where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? 
for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. First, it's important for you to know that Nineveh was the chief or capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were enemies of the nation of Israel. There had already been several threats from Assyria against Israel before the Lord even gave this mission to Jonah. And it is Assyrians actually conquer the northern kingdom of Israel and take them into exile. So this word from God has Jonah going into the capital city of enemies, a major world power, and pronouncing judgment on them if they don't repent of their wickedness. This was moving into Red Square in Russia at the height of the Cold War and calling them to repent of their wickedness. This appears to be a suicide mission. So what does Jonah do? Jonah flees to Tarshish. He goes to the west. When God calls him to Nineveh in the east, one possible location of Tarshish is on the far side of Spain. So Jonah intends to flee to the farthest reaches of the known world at that time. Now, I will address Jonah's particular motivation to disobey when we get to chapter 4. But for now, I'd like to look with you at his actions as it relates to the nature of all sin in general. One of the characteristics of sin is running and hiding. This is nothing new. Go all the way back to the beginning. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They ran and hid. And this is one of the great tragedies of sin is that it repels us from what we were made for. We were made to be with God, but our sin causes us to run from him. Each of us has our own uh, particular ways that we run and hide from God. It's until you know what yours are that your growth as a Christian will really be hindered. And this is the first step in learning what it means to be a Christian. If sin is running from God, then our most basic problem is not that we are hurting or suffering people. No, we need to know that we are fugitives. Until we can admit that we are running from God, we cannot take the first steps towards God. Like the proverbial man who will not admit that he's lost and stop to ask for directions. 
We are never more lost than when we can't admit that we're lost. Another thing about sin is that sin makes us foolish. Verse 3 says that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Jonah would have been familiar with Psalm 139, 7-10. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Sin clouds our thinking. Deep down, our sin deceives us into believing that we can do a better job than God at making ourselves happy. We think we will be better off, more free, more satisfied if we just do things our way. But in reality, this is suicide. It's backwards and it's foolish. Notice verse 3. He says he, it went down, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, away from the presence of the Lord. Notice, Jonah paid the fare. But he never got to Tarshish. This is how it is with our sin. When we run from God, we pay the fare. We pay the price. And we never ultimately get there. However, if we go God's way, Jesus pays the fare. And he ensures that we will get there. Look at 1 Peter 13. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God surrender to God's ways and Christ pays with his life what was necessary for our sin and he leads us to God running and hiding this was now it's God's move I love the contrast between verses 3 and 4 verse 3 begins with the words but Jonah and verse 4 answers but the Lord the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, and there's this deadly storm that threatens to break their boat apart. Now, this must have been some storm because these sailors were likely experienced. They've probably seen their fair storms at sea. They do what they're trained to do. They lighten the load to keep the ship afloat by dumping cargo into the sea. The sailors were afraid. They cried out, each to his this was no ordinary storm, and they knew it. But why would God send a deadly storm? Isn't that mean? Isn't that cruel? Think of it like this. I've already mentioned that sin makes us foolish. Well, sin can harden us to the point of making us delusional. Imagine a loved one who's terminally ill. But there is a cure, and you have it. You have it in hand. You're ready to give it to them. The only problem is that in their weakened state, they are so delusional that they believe the cure you have is really poison. They fight your attempts to give it to them. They are willing to hurt you, even kill you, to prevent you from giving them the cure. This is how it is with sin. We think... 
we are doing what will ultimately make us happy, but in reality, it only leads to death. And the thought of doing things God's way seems so restrictive and depriving you of life. God's way seems like poison. Sin makes us delusional. So what do you do about your loved one? Do you leave him alone? No. That's hatred, not love. But if you go after them to help them, do you see, do you understand what tender violence is required? With reluctance, but with great love and compassion, you, you tackle them. You punch them in the mouth to knock them out if you have to. But it hurts you. Every time you hit them, it's like you're hitting yourself. This is gentle power. This is tender violence. To bring them to their senses, to wake them up to reality. This, I believe, is the purpose of the deadly storm. It is the grace of God that pursues us to intercept our destructive behavior. The storm is God's gracious intervention to get Jonah's attention. God will sometimes use hardship to get Now it's Jonah's move. How does he respond? Many people will tend to blame their problems on others and things that were done to them. However, it's not the storms, but it's our response to the storms that matter most. A storm can shipwreck you, or you can display the tremendous buoyancy of your faith. Here's how Jonah responds in verse 9. Jonah identifies himself as a Hebrew who fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Notice that uh, the sea is the one place those sailors least want to be, and the dry land is the place that they most want to be. So it's interesting that Jonah describes God in this way at this time. But really, Jonah is taking his eyes off of himself and his problems, and he sets them on something bigger than himself. He's beginning to gain a deeper perspective. I turned 40 this year. I've noticed that I'm having to do kind of, you know, these kind of things more and more. But when I hold this paper too close, I can barely kind of see the words. They're really blurry. But when I pull it away, the letters become smaller and I begin to see more clearly. It's the same with our circumstances and problems. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and our troubles and turn them to the Lord, we become smaller, our troubles become smaller, and God appears bigger. This is what Jonah does in verse 9. Now in verse 12, Jonah takes the next step. He takes responsibility for his sin. He owns it. He says, sailors, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Notice how God's response to Jonah's rebellion was to hurl a great wind upon the sea. And Jonah's response to that was to say, hurl me into the sea. God hurls the wind and Jonah hurls himself. So who is the one whose faith is buoyed up in the storm? It's anyone who decides to stop running 
and turn to the Lord in faith who are buoyed up. While sin makes us foolish and delusional, it's turning to God and trusting him that will bring you back to reality and back to life. Jonah is willing to entrust himself to God to give him what he deserves in order to save the sailors. When the sailors tossed Jonah into the water, what Jonah didn't realize was that the love of God was waiting for him beneath the waves. In the very heart of the storm, God placed a provision for Jonah to save him. But it wasn't until Jonah was ready to trust himself utterly and completely to God that he would experience the grace and love of God. A couple years ago, I, I caught this movie, really wonderful movie, The Finest Hours. It tells one of the most daring rescues in the history of the United States Coast Guard. It's available on Disney Plus if you've got that. But on February 18th, 1952, the oil tanker SS Pendleton was sheared in half off the coast of Chatham on Cape Cod after getting caught in a massive nor'easter. With most of the Coast Guard already dispatched to another rescue, Bernie Weber was dispatched with a small crew to pilot a 36-foot motor lifeboat to rescue the crew of the Pendleton. By all appearances, this was a suicide mission. Between Chatham Harbor and the open seas was a bar with a series of shoals that can be dangerous to cross in good weather. To cross this bar, Bernie had timed the bursts of his engine to ride through the approaching 70-foot waves before they broke on his small boat. If you watch the movie, the visual effects are stunning. These massive waves are coming, and this little boat that has no business being there throttles it right into the wave, and the boat actually goes into the face of the wave and underwater and then pops out the other side. And there's no going below deck on this boat. Bernie and his small crew, they have to hold on to the railings as they go underwater for dear life. They hold on. They pop out the other side. And it's with that determination that they head out into that storm to rescue the crew of the Pendleton. Jesus is the perfect Jonah who allowed himself to be cast off for his enemies. And he drove straight into the storm of God's wrath against sin to save us. It was a suicide mission to save his enemies. He gave his life on the cross as our substitute to calm the wrath of God that was against us. But because he was actually perfect, death could not hold him down. He emerged three days later in victory over sin and death. This is the Christian life. Entrust yourself entirely and completely to Jesus to forgive your sin and make you right with him. Remember, Jesus paid the fare and he guarantees to get you there, to bring you to your creator, who you were made to know and love and to be loved by. Jonah stopped running and hurled himself completely on the justice and mercy of God. And it was there that he discovered God's gracious provision 
Jesus is God's gracious provision for all who will trust him. He alone can calm the storm of God's wrath against us. Some of you here are running from God today. And there's only one way you can stop. First, understand that you're a fugitive. Turn and realize that there is no refuge from God and realize that there is only refuge in God and trust him to save you. Gracious Lord Jesus, thank you that you did not give up on us or leave us in our self-destruction. Thank you for your gracious pursuit of us in the person of your son, Jesus. I pray for those who are running from you today. That you will bring gracious storms into their lives that will wake up to hurl themselves on Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, your gracious provision for all who will trust you. Buoy them up, Lord Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. Thank you for joining me on this pre-recorded message on getting our live stream up and running soon. But please, if you're if God is stirring in your heart today, reach out to me. I'd love to interact with you and answer any questions you may have about finding peace with God. You can email me at pastormike at fishkillbaptist.org or call my office phone at 845-896-9386, extension 228. After I give the benediction, please check out the playlist I've curated on YouTube of some worship songs, lyrics that you can sing with your family at home. And I did, in case you were wondering, include the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. I hope to be together with you all again soon.